you know, there's something to be said that there are these philosophies and wisdoms that have been around for 3000 plus years and they are just as relevant today as they were then. Like that's when you know, and I'm getting goosebumps, that's when you know there's truth, right? If it can withstand all of history that has happened in the last 3000 years and it's still relevant, that's where you know truth lies. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Successful, the podcast. It is Natalie here with my lovely friend, Carla. Hey, Carla. Hello, lovely Natalie. Hello, hello. So good hello. to be with you today. It's good to be with you, too. We're recording on Friday. The The mood is good. The vibe Always. is good. Always. Yes. Yeah, Fridays are good. They are. Day to just kind of, for me, I mean, I, I work and do a lot of stuff in the mornings, but then as the mm-hmm. afternoon down I always try to intentionally build in some time to just be to take off to exercise Mm -hmm. yeah and I hope you meditate too because um we recorded this and your meditation app went off and it was like a ghost in the background and it was telling you that you needed to meditate so I think winding down for you today will include meditation (laughs) and you know I haven't been very good about my morning meditation practice this week there's good reason. It's because I have been kayaking every morning. That's amazing. Yeah. Like the sunrise has just been gorgeous. And so before we even start work, my husband and I have been, we rented this double kayak and we go off and that is very meditative. And it's really good for my mindset for just starting off the day in a really nice note. And great for a relationship too, because if I can remember correctly, if somebody messes up in that double kayak, you're both in the water. <laughs> our friends, we were offering the kayak to some of our friends that are parked near us, and they're like, "Oh no, no thanks. We know that when we go on a double kayak, bad things happen. Bad things you know, happen. we fight, and so we just choose not to do that." I'm like, "Oh, yeah, no." <laughs> you haven't just... had any problems? <laughs> no. Fortunately, it's not one of those kayaks that's super narrow. Like, it really mm-hmm. is pretty stable. Yeah. So we just, yeah, take turns. And I think we're both probably pretty tired in the morning to really care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You care unless you flip. and then Unless you flip. And then you're really time. awake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But on the note of wellness and taking care of our bodies and our minds, who do we have on the show today, Natalie? Yeah, we have an amazing guest today. Her name is Rana Mjadi, and she is a holistic wellness coach um, who came from the corporate world. We talk a little bit about her background. She worked for Microsoft for a long time and how she came to focus her life around wellness, but also create this incredible business, Lily Jade where she coaches folks to finding their own well-being. And we just had a wonderful conversation about 
Ayurveda and, you know, her culture growing up Persian. And there were so many great takeaways about, you know, coming back to ourselves, our bodies, and using that as a stepping off point to focusing more on our purpose as individuals too. So yeah. it's such a great episode. I really feel energized from talking to her as I do with all of our guests. But I do too. I, I feel particularly zen mm-hmm. after talking to her. And before we jump into that conversation, I do want to highlight and thank our sponsor, The Podcast Base, for all the support and all the wonderful education and learning that we're receiving through our membership with Anna's friends, trends and friends. Friends and trends. Friends and trends. Friends and trends. The friends comes first. The community Mm -hmm. comes first. It does. (laughs) But this is a wonderful membership and community that we're a part of with Anna and with other podcasters where we're getting to learn so much about the industry, about tools, about where podcasting is going. So if anyone out there is listening and you're a podcaster or you're interested in podcasting, Check out the podcast space on Instagram or the podcast space on on the internet. And yeah, Anna is just a wealth of information. So thank you. She really is. Sponsor the podcast space. And you can find all of the information about that group that we're in, Friends and Trends, and Anna's company, the podcast space in the show notes as well. So with that, here is our episode with Rana. so curious to know, Rena, you had mentioned before we started recording that Monday, Tuesday coming up is Persian New Year. Yeah. And your heritage is Persian. And I would love to know, just because I'm fascinated, you know, to know what kind of celebration is it going to be? Like, what kind of food? Like, what's that like? Man, Persian New Year, this time of year is definitely like the most special time of year for me, just because... One, I think the traditions that we have are beautiful, but obviously like all the nostalgic family memories that go along with it. So Persian New Year every year is aligned with spring equinox, which I think just makes so much more sense to align a new year with like the moment of rebirth and growth for all of nature. The fact that we do New Year in like the dead of winter when everything is like (laughs) dead and dried out (laughs) makes no sense to me. So I personally, my New Year is always Persian New Year. And it actually starts, um, it started this last, this Tuesday that just happened with this celebration called Charshambasuri. And it's a tradition that dates back to like the time of Zoroaster. And it's a symbolic ritual of renewal where you get together with your loved ones, your friends and your family, and you jump over fire. And as you jump over fire, you uh, say this like chant where you ask the fire to take your yellow, which stands for like sickness, ailments, you know, anything that you want to burn and leave behind from the prior year. And in return, you ask it to give you its red, its strength, its vitality, its energy. And, you know, growing up, I always did this at my grandmother's house and she was not someone who could like leap over a bonfire. So we would just line up candles like on her tiled floor. And even though I could do a bonfire these days, I still do the interior like candle lineup and I had my friends over. So that's celebration number one. Then on spring equinox itself. So it's usually like March 20th, March 21st. That's Persian New Year. Again, we love food. We love coming together. So it's like 
bring everyone together. You're supposed to have like head to toe, a whole new outfit for the year. There's like a table setup that you create in your home that has all of these like symbolic things like coins and eggs and sweets and vinegar and apples. And they all stand for like health, wealth, prosperity, fertility, you know, all the things in life you eat. And a lot of the foods that you eat are very herb focused. So we eat like fish with this very heavy herb rice. And herbs are really what keep us in balance in the spring season. They're very dry. They're very light. They kind of help break us out of some of this like dewy density that comes with like the rain and all of that good stuff. And then 13 days after New Year, we close the New Year celebrations with a potluck picnic, always outdoor in nature called Seas Dabadar. And that's just kind of like the final moment of togetherness and celebration. Again, allowing us to like create a connection with nature and really be in spring and really feel the kind of energetic properties of the season. So lovely. Yeah. I love a good ritual. Me too. I think like more, the thing that I like about rituals, you know, this is something that I tell my clients a lot. Find a habit or a routine in your day, something that's already stuck, just one, whatever you like the most, and turn that into a ritual. Because I think the word ritual comes with this like connotation of reverence, right? Like it demands respect. And I think so often we're just like going through the flow of our day. We have all these different things that we do. We don't really take a moment to pause and like step out of the flow of life and have this little moment of gratitude for something that like we enjoy doing, whether it's like your coffee or your nighttime beauty routine or like the drive back after dropping your kids off of that school or daycare, you know, whatever it is that feels like it's your moment, call it a ritual and it'll come with a lot more intentionality, I think. Yeah. Instead of being more like a to-do, it's something that you look forward to. It's kind of a sacred time and, and place that you can make for yourself. Absolutely. I love the word sacred. Oh, that's so great. Well, I, I feel like we're already getting to know you so much right now. <laughs> so amazing. And this is also maybe an ignorant question, but Persia, is that a bunch of different countries or is that just one country? So back in the ancient times, Persia was like a very large empire that spanned, you know, regions from like Iraq, Afghanistan, Iran, Azerbaijan, you know, all the way like kind of to the border of Turkey. It was a much, much larger region. Mm -hmm. As it got chipped away, it got condensed into what is now the country of Iran. Okay. But because of that, you know, transformation, there are ethnically Persian people that live outside of Iran mm -hmm. in Iraq, Afghanistan, Azerbaijan, all these other places. And then within Iran, Persian is like the, the most dominant ethnicity, but there are other ethnicities within Iran as well. So you can be gotcha. a Turkish Iranian, a Kurdish Iranian, an Azeri Iranian, etc. Okay. But I am of the way I, I say Persian because I'm my nationality. I was born here in the United States, mm -hmm. but ethnically I'm Persian. My parents much are sense. Iranian. Gotcha. Okay. That's very helpful because yeah. I'm familiar with a lot, but I'll admit when I'm not familiar with something. <laughs> yeah, totally. Don't, don't ask me like the capitals of the United States. States. Like I learned all of them. I grew up here. I'm bored. I'm an American through and through, but so much of my like at home history was about Iran. So I'm like, yeah. I, I didn't know a lot of like classic 70s rock. I was listening to like 80 synth Persian pop. Like, <laughs> which is amazing. Which is okay. amazing. I'm gonna, 
yeah. going to need to get some of those songs from you. Yeah. <laughs> so, Rana, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank it's you. so lovely to have you. We're hearing already a little bit about your background and who you are, but tell us a little bit about yourself and then this company that you have, Lily Jade. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this earlier today and like back when I was on the dating apps, there used to be this prompt that's like hanging out with me is like, and I used to describe it as like hanging out with a creature that's equal parts wise owl and little gremlin. And I really feel like that's my energy. (laughs) Um, I'm either like wanting to talk about life and spirit and like the meaning of our existence or I'm making like weird faces and weird noises and like harassing my boyfriend to make out with me. So there's, there's <laughs> those two polarities in my life. Love it. Um, but yeah, I am a holistic wellness coach and owner of my practice, Lily Jade, where I, I help people realign with their well being um, so that they can find self sustaining joy, purpose, and vitality. And, you know, oftentimes that process of realigning with your well being has to start with understanding what your well-being actually is because it's different for everyone, right? And it's something that's dynamic. It changes throughout the seasons of our life. It changes throughout the seasons of our year. And I think that once people get a better sense of what their unique definition well-being is and how they can assess whether they are aligned with that point of center, if they've walked away from it and how to bring themselves back we're all going to be better off, right? Like we all have then more capacity to make decisions at work and in life that really not only honor our well-being, but then create space for others to do the same. And uh, I've been doing this in an official capacity as a business owner for about, I just hit my one-year mark earlier this March. Yay. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) What a year. What a year. And I love it. Like I'm so addicted to this work. I think it's, it's just a very, um, it's just a huge blessing to be able to like have a role in community that supports people on this process because I'm the beneficiary of it. You know, I used to work at Microsoft for eight years, eight and a half years. I was like climbing the corporate ladder, top performer status, yada, yada, yada. I hit burnout and like everything fell apart. And it was through my own process of realigning with my well being that like suddenly, this whole new world opened up in front of me where I'm now living a life that, you know, has its challenges, obviously, like going from corporate level success to like small business owner, like that's an adjustment. But, you know, I'm doing stuff that's like aligned with my natural talents and curiosities and values. And I feel a sense of purpose that I didn't feel before. And so all of the challenges make it really worth it. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about that burnout period. I heard you and Carla chatting a little bit about it right before I joined, but tell us, you know, what happened when you hit that wall while you you were working in your corporate career? Yeah. So this was about, um, I would say like, yeah, it was, it was 2020. So I had been at Microsoft for about six, seven years at that point. Yeah. Coming up on seven. And had like a really accelerated last like three years of that time and was it was a wonderful experience but then I settled into a role where I just got a chance to breathe a little bit and right as I was doing that COVID hit and so suddenly like all of the like regular structures 
of our day-to-day experience were stripped away. And especially in that beginning period where we're all just like trying to figure out like, what do we do? How long are we going to be doing this? You know, like a lot of the corporate space that I was in is really like um, a lot of parents. And so they were at home with their kids who weren't like in school. And so it was just quiet, right? Quiet in my home. And then like the world is burning around you. And so it was just this moment of like, oh, wow. Okay. Here's like an opportunity to really reflect on your life. Like, where has it been so far? Where is it going? Is that something that you feel aligned with, that you want? And for me, that moment of reflection was really around like, okay, I loved the skill set that I was cultivating at the company. I was in communications and storytelling. That's my bread and butter. It's part of my culture. You know, like I felt really aligned with that. But when I looked at the day to day, you know, what is how, what am I actually doing day in, day out? Like, what's the measure of my work? It was like, how many well crafted emails did I send? And how many fragile male egos was I coddling that day? And I'm like, no, like, I'm better than that, you know? And I would see if that moment in time, especially like what was needed in the world. It was mutual aid. It was community support. It was all of these things. And I was like, I want as much as I think Microsoft has and continues to have a, let's say, net positive effect on the world and the people in it are all kind, smart, wonderful people. I, that definition of impact was so like scale oriented, right? Like how many thousands of people, how many millions of people, how many millions of dollars, And for me, my definition of impact, I think I really realized in that moment was more interpersonal, you know, more community focused, like did someone's day get better because of our interaction? So I had that kind of insight, but I didn't really know what to do with it. And so right after that insight started coming to me, then George Floyd was murdered and Breonna Taylor was murdered. And I dove into like, racial equity efforts and was volunteering 20 hours a week on top of my job, like a classic non-black white volunteer who dives in, I then completely burnt out, you know, like I was textbook, here's how not to do this type of work. And it was great because it reinforced, yes, I wanted the community thing, but what ended up happening was I was just burnt out completely. Like I had nothing left for myself, no time, no energy, no mental capacity, And the way that it manifested for me was disembodiment. So like I was at home by myself in this house quarantining at that time. I think it was about eight or nine months straight. And so my physical reality was really, thank goodness, really safe and very mundane. Walking down the stairs and feeding the cats and making my coffee and going to work and feeding the cats. And, you know, it was just like the same shit over and over and over again. But my mental reality was nuts. It was anxiety. It was pressure. It was collect. It was consuming grief and trauma and all of these things day in, day out, especially at that time in COVID and all the, you know, BLM uprisings that were happening that around that time. And I couldn't bring these two things together. It just wasn't reconnecting. And so I was very lucky to have a super, super, super supportive manager at work. And I just told her, like, we were doing the end of the year review. And there's a question that was like, what do you think is a blocker to your success in the next half? And I said, I wrote mental health. And so she was like, okay, do you want to talk about this? And I was just like, (gasps) (laughs) start bawling hysterically. And she's like, 
take time. So I ended up taking six weeks off of work. I should have taken more. If you're listening and you work for a corporate company that has a leave benefit, take it. But yeah, it was in that time that I think everything else started to fall into place. Mm. I identify with that so much. In 2021, I ended up taking three months off Mm. and it was, you know, the pandemic and my parents had gotten COVID and were sick and then we had ice storms here and like homes were ruined and it was just chaos. And I totally identify with like, you're trying to keep it together for your day to day, but there's so much else that's taking your focus away And it feels much more important to focus on those things that it's like this inner conflict that's really hard to reconcile. So I totally Totally. identify with that completely. So tell us how you then started to come back to yourself and and dive back into that, you know, core part of your being that you felt was missing during that time. Yeah. So I think for me, I, I knew that when I took this time away, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a control freak. I'm a planner. I'm an organizer. I like everything like structured and labeled. And I have always had a five to ten year plan. And I really went into this mental health leave period. I was like, I can't PM this. You know, like I I don't need to project manage my own recovery. I need to just exist. And I knew going into it, like the only outcome I was seeking was mind and body alignment again. And for me, that looked like, okay, I'm going to uninstall all of the social apps. I'm going to go home to be with my parents in Florida. I'm very lucky to have their love and support and, you know, all of the the structures of care that they provided me. So I don't have to worry about the things of like doing my laundry or cleaning my room, you know, like just make my life as simple as possible to get to a point where I'm not responsible for being productive, nor am I responsible for consuming anything. Like I just want to exist again. And so when I was home, it was really just down to the basics of like eat well, move well, sleep well, think well, be surrounded by love and family and all the things as much as we could at that time in COVID. And a lot of my background and upbringing as a, you know, Persian person is very like food at the center and Persians like I think instinctually know that nourishing food shared in communion is the best medicine for most things in life and that's really what I got just nourishing food shared in communion day in and day out and that's when just by random synchronicities things started to open up for me around Ayurveda so The first thing that happened when I was on mental leave is that I finally had this opportunity to articulate my definition of spirituality. And this was something that I had been in exploration with. I worked on the quantum computing team at Microsoft, which was like the first big trigger because it was like, oh, here's like non-theistic language, scientific language and concepts and physics to describe what I've always intuitively felt that allowed me to just like find a form of spirituality that was just appreciation for the reality of nature. And I articulated that and then was listening to random podcasts, learned that some of the philosophies behind Ayurveda and also yoga, the Vedic philosophies 
were very aligned with quantum physics and quantum mechanics and kind of reinforced that spirituality, of course, in, in a different language, but structurally it was the same. And I'd always learned, I knew about Ayurveda. I had friends that had studied it. I remember them telling me about it being like, oh, that really sounds a lot like what I grew up with in my own culture. Just this notion of like, you have your own internal temperament and you eat foods that have counterbalancing temperaments, like the baseline. And what ended up happening is right at the end of my trip, I decided to go visit a friend who was living in Tampa, like three, four hours away from me in Florida. And he was someone who was doing, he was in commercial real estate development. And the project that he was responsible was for like revitalizing downtown Tampa and creating all of these like new community spaces with like new restaurants and artists. And, you know, he had restaurant tour friends and chef friends and artist friends. And his life was just so external. He was just out there, like in community, in the fabric of a city. And I was like, here, this is the thing that I meant about like community impact. Like he's a really good example. And so we were having dinner one night and I was just starting to share my experience of the thing. And in that conversation, like two hours later, I had convinced myself to go sign up for a program to become a certified Ayurvedic wellness counselor. It was just like suddenly all of my like thoughts coalesced. And then, you know, when like you're onto something and then it just generates its own internal momentum and you're like, you can just see all the potential open up. And I was like, okay, there's something here. And so I went back and like kind of on a whim just signed up. And then, you know, a month later I was in the program. I was like, oh, this is what I want to do with my life. And here we are. (laughs) Wow. That's incredible. I I love that you shared that whole journey. And I, I do know and I know Carla knows also that feeling of once you tap into something that really is in touch with your purpose and kind of your soul at that level, the flow starts to come. Totally. And things just start to happen so naturally. Totally. Yeah. I, I like paying attention to that, like knowing that feeling, flow. I always say like sense of joy, relief, and an, and a momentum that is outside of me. Like those are the three things that I feel the most when there's like alignment at that soul level. Hmm. Momentum that's outside of you. I've never heard it phrased like that before. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. And Marina, yeah. You know, Natalie and I are yoga teachers. I think I shared that with you when, when we first met. And so I, I personally am a little bit familiar with Ayurveda, but I I would love to learn more. I, I don't yeah. know a lot about it, except that there is this this connection between that it's an individual it's about the individual and it's about food and it's about nourishing ourselves with the things that personally serve each one of us best but i'd love to hear from you a little bit more about it and how you have incorporated that that practice into the work that you do with your clients totally so ayurveda is the medical sister science to yoga so they're both born from the vedas 3,000 years ago, some people say 5,000 if you account for the oral history that came before the actual written history of the Vedic period. Um, But the way that it was developed back 3,000 years ago is that yoga is this practice of spiritual development, this practice of austerity and discipline and alignment of mind and body so that you can unite your individual consciousness with the greater cosmic consciousness. In order to do that higher order, higher energy type work, your mind and your body had to be in a state of health and balance in the first place. 
Ayurveda was the pathway to that. Ayurveda is around bringing balance to body and mind so that you can do the rest of that soul level consciousness work. And the number one principle that we kind of ground ourselves in in Ayurveda is that we are not separate from nature. We are an expression of nature, right? Like the birds and bees and trees and all the things in between, right? It's like from the cellular level all the way up to the cosmic layers, like this nesting doll of natural systems that we are a part of. And one thing that we know about natural systems is that they all have this tendency to move towards balance or equilibrium, right? We see that in trees, their form of maintaining balance, homeostasis, whatever you want to call it is photosynthesis, right? Trees of the same species in the same area maintain a collective homeostasis by sharing sugar and water and nutrients through their roots that are connected by mycelium. So like if one tree doesn't have any sun and the other tree has a lot of it, they all find their balance, right? Our system, our mind-body-soul system is no different. We all have our own unique state of balance and homeostasis. And really Ayurveda is about helping us understand what our unique balance looks like, right? And then how to counterbalance that unique nature with all forms of nourishment, whether that's food, water, breath, everything we take in from our senses. And I like to think of it as like Ayurveda really helps you find the edge pieces to your unique puzzle, right? It gives you a language and a framework to understand your unique nature. The language and framework is elements and energies because that's what they had 3000 years ago, right? Like, are you someone who has dominance of fire in your system or water in your system? And with those elements and energies come qualities like sharpness or stagnancy, whatever it is. So you get that language to understand what you are. And then you can choose forms of nourishment that balance you out. And that's, that's really the goal. And that's, that's kind of what I knew about Ayurveda, that, that it's based on the elements and each element has different characteristics and that there's also a balance that we can find. So like, I know that fire is a little bit more, something that's it's a little more predominant in, in me and, but and Natalie and I have had discussions. She's like, but you need to balance it out with water. Like, you know, spend more time in a bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) And it makes me think about something that you said earlier, which was this idea of defining, coming up with your definition of Mm well-being. How can people better understand their elements and what works for them and what their own definition of well-being is so then they can then take the actions to create that balance? Yeah. So I think, you know, there... When it comes to, if you want to learn in an Ayurvedic context specifically, right, there's resources online, you know, you can work with counselors like I am who can give you kind of like an audit of your system, right? But I think if this is an experience you're managing on your own, the first step is just awareness, right? Really paying attention to the signals that your body and your mind are sending you throughout the day, because there's so much communication coming from our bodies every single day about what it likes, what it doesn't like, what it feels good, what doesn't feel good. And I think the problem is we become so proficient at ignoring or suppressing signals and symptoms of a balance, right? Because we just assume that these are the way of life. We think acid reflux is something that's like, ah, you just get older, it gets harder, you take a pill, whatever, it's fine. Um, Which, yeah, It's true, as you get older and your body starts to like slowly decay, things get wonky, but it doesn't mean that it still doesn't have a 
data point and a signal behind it that something isn't working right. And so I'd say step one is just embodiment, right? Body awareness. Pay attention to your sleep. How long are you sleeping? What's the quality? What's the quality of your dreams? How is that responsive or not responsive to the things that you were doing leading into your sleep? Pay attention to your appetite. How hungry are you? Where does it wax and wane throughout the day? What are you craving? Are you craving something that's a mental craving of desire or does it, when you eat it, does your body light up? You know, you can't stop but say, "Mm," because it just feels so good. How's your digestion running? Is it running hot? Are things moving through you too quickly? Do you have loose stool or is it too slow? Do you feel stagnant? Is it sticky? Digestion is a wonderful snapshot of what your system is like. Are you someone who runs hot? Are you someone who runs cold? Are you someone who has no predictability whatsoever? (laughs) And then your emotional landscape, you know, like when you feel joy, when you feel happiness, when you feel gratitude, what are you taking in around you? What's coming in through your senses? And on the flip side, when you feel stress, when you feel anger, when you feel irritable, you feel anxious, whatever, what is that? As you bring that awareness, you'll start to see very quickly there are patterns. There are patterns in the things that make you feel good, that make your body function appropriately, and the patterns of things that throw you off center. And without even having the language of, are you a pitta person or a kapha person, you'll start to see what the commonalities are. And I think people feel this instinctually. Like, you know, people are like, oh man, I shouldn't have like a glass of red wine tonight because I always get acid reflux. Or like, I know, you know, when I don't work out, I feel X, Y, Z. Keep unpacking all of your experiences and bring awareness. I would say I'm a huge fan of journaling. I think it's a very effective practice to just be able to observe your life a little bit and the way that your mind works and the way that your body works from couple degrees removed perspective, right? There's also a greater level of understanding and mental metabolism that comes when we pair a physical act with like some mental process, right? So even without the Ayurvedic framework, you can start to get a sense of what your well-being is just by taking an observer standpoint of your daily life on all of these facets. Yeah, I love that. That was going to be a question actually around how how can we create that awareness? And earlier you talked about pausing social media for a little while, right? What a great way to just kind of create space to start to listen within instead of always looking outward. Totally. Journaling is is another way. And I, I appreciate you connecting the benefits of observing such as through journaling to to our bodies, right? Like to, I don't always think to journal about how food is, is impacting me, right? Totally. Sometimes it'll be more about work and other things, but, but our bodies are speaking to us all the time and all the time. Yeah. What are some of the bigger challenges you observe your clients experience, particularly women around creating this awareness and around finding what that definition of their well-being is and creating change to support themselves? Well, you touched on so many of it right then. I think, you know, number one is just that awareness first step, right? You know, I ask my clients every time we open up a session, I ask them about their appetite and their digestion and their mood and all this stuff. And it's always a fun game for me to see like when the first session, who can actually answer all of these things with a level of fidelity that like tells me that they're paying attention. Oftentimes we were like, huh, I don't really know. 
I'm like, okay, we're going to work on that. Right. And I think part of that is like, um, what you said, so much of our attention and our energy is in this external space. Right. And I think as women, I think one of the biggest challenges that I observed is like giving ourselves permission to come back in. Right. They feel this sense of obligation. I have to be there. I have to do all these things. My body, my mind is in service to everyone else except for me, my kids, my partner, my job, my community. And, you know, it takes it doesn't take a lot of physical effort to start this awareness journey, but it takes a lot. It takes a big mental transformation to just think like I deserve to have this time for myself. I deserve to turn inward. Even if it's something as small as kind of what we were talking about in the beginning of like making one small habit a sacred ritual, that means giving yourself permission to put everything else down, right? Like I'm just going to be here in this moment. And I don't think a lot of women feel like they have that agency and autonomy to do so. I would say then the other thing is this has been coming up a lot also in my personal journey. I would say we women of our era have the misfortune of being raised by women and families who looked at like Twiggy as the physical type of beauty, right? Like Twiggy was the model of our parents' generation. And that has led to a lot of, can I curse on this podcast? A lot of fucked up diet culture (laughs) that is just pervasive throughout everything, especially in the holistic wellness community. Let me tell you, it is fraught with this bullshit. Pastel colored. I mean, I I don't know if you guys are on TikTok, but like the Gwyneth Paltrow interview that's going viral. I was like, I just, I drink like, oh my God. She's just like- So what about the fact that she only, that she doesn't need it all, she like does IV vitamins? (laughs) Yeah. And then she also has like an exercise practice on top of that. So like you're starving yourself and you're expending a lot of energy. And I'm just like, so that's rampant, right? And I think a lot of times the challenge is like, I have a lot of clients come to me and like weight loss is a goal. I'm like, I don't do that. Weight loss may be an outcome, uh, an after effect of realigning with your well-being and eating foods and nourishing yourself in a way that is more balancing to your system and correcting any imbalances that you may have, whether it's, you know, PCOS related or whatever it is. Weight, weight, your weight may be a beneficiary of that work, but I'm not here to calorie count and calorie restrict. Like that's not what we're doing. And I think getting over this like self-flagellation diet culture thing and how it's wrapped up in the way that we think about ourselves and what health is and what health isn't, what well-being is, what well-being isn't, is like a really big piece to unpack that I'm, you know, I just talked to my therapist about it yesterday. I'm like, I want to untangle this one together. I think it's time. (laughs) So I'm right there with all of my clients doing this work. Don't, don't be confused. I do this work as much as a reminder for myself than to anyone else. (laughs) I mean, I'm always amazed how pervasive it is. My mom was very intentional because it's just myself and my sister. Mm. She was very intentional to never talk about foods being good or bad to talk about dieting and all of that. And still it got in my brain and it still affects me. And it's just the culture at large and the things we're fed in the media and 
other people's opinions and just absorbing all of this negativity and like really, like you said, really messed up approach to treating our bodies like not that we should be nourishing them, but that we should be punishing them to look a certain way. It really is. It's so messed up. And I just find it amazing that it it seeped into my brain, even though I had a parent who tried to make that not happen. Yeah. It's incredible. So, and I mean, we talk about this a lot in the podcast, but I have similarly been going through my own journey of unwinding that. And one of the hardest things that I've had to do in the last year, um, because I also wanted to lose some weight and put on some muscle, and I enlisted a health and fitness coach who we had on the podcast a little while ago, I had to start by eating more. Mm. I had to start by eating more than I've ever eaten in my life. What a mental fuck that must have been. (laughs) I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) This is not what I want to do. This is not what I've been trained to do. (laughs) You mean I can't starve myself and build muscle simultaneously? What? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know. know, But it it was really – it's been such a mental game to like get over those hoops of I have to – eat less to look a certain way. And it's like, no, no, I need to nourish my body and make it feel safe before I can go and like reach any goals that I have. I think what you just said around make my body feel safe. This is something that is like a a principle of mine in my practice and is also something that I'm trying to come back to in my own personal journey around this. It's just like when I work with my clients and we talk about, okay, what are the like habits and rituals and routines and practices that they can do to like step closer to their center of balance to honor their well-being I always say, follow what makes you feel good, right? Because when you feel joyful, when you feel strong, when you feel vibrant and vital, that's the shit that's self-sustaining, right? That becomes way more addictive than any list of do's or don'ts. You'll come back to that, right? Even if you step away from it, even if you travel far away, you know that feeling, you know what it feels like, you will come back to it, right? You'll find your way back. A lot of what I feel about finding a healthier relationship to movement is that transformation as well. Like 
rather than, as my therapist says, objectifying myself, right? And thinking of my body as this object that needs to be shaped and molded into this perfect ideal and, you know, punish and restricted and all of this stuff. How can I do this from the perspective of being in my body, right? How it feels good, how it feels good to be strong and flexible and vibrant and all of those things. And it starts that way. I get really excited and then I start weighing myself and then I start looking at my jeans and I hate it all. And so anyway, did you guys know that this was going to be a therapy session for me? Did you know that? (laughs) (laughs) No, we use it as therapy too. I I always say I listen back to our episodes and I'm like, I needed to hear that today. What you're saying, Rena, is really resonating with me from a cultural standpoint because I'm currently in Mexico where I was born and raised. And food is a big part of the culture. And so when I think about joy in the food sense, my culture is such a big part of that. And I would hate to think of my body as this object, to use your terminology or your therapist terminology, that you know, where there has to be restrictions. And I can't eat the food that is such an important part of my culture because I need to have a certain weight. And so I think it does, at the end of the day, balance out. And it is important to for me to eat tacos, you know, I guess totally. the things that aren't, but, but also listen to, okay, my body, my palate really loved that. Maybe my, I got a little acid reflux and maybe I shouldn't eat so much of that. I can still enjoy it, but let me balance that out in other areas. And I, yeah. So. And that's culture. why I love Ayurveda because it's, it's really about balance, not perfection, right? Like it's everything. We're always on this seesaw of our own well-being. And it's not to say we're going to stay at the center every single time. That's not possible. That's not enjoyable. You're you're on this earth to enjoy life, to enjoy the human experience, right? It's natural that you're going to step away from it. But do you know where your threshold of tipping too far is and how do you come back? And there is no list of good or bad foods. It's all relative to your unique nature, right? Like I'm someone whose digestive fire runs pretty hot and pretty strong so I can handle certain types of foods that maybe my father or my sister can't, right? And I've, it's been such a liberating way to think about food. And that's really what I hope most of us find our way to, you know, just there is, as you said, there is no good and bad. It's just, where are you at? Where is your system at? What do you need? And balancing a little bit of joy and freedom and being naughty, let your gremlin self like take the lead when you need it to, right? And then like let the owl fly in and be like, okay, bitch, it's time to come back. <laughs> And something that I feel like is a is a byproduct of all of this, you know, coming back to your wellness, and this is something that I've I've found personally, is it opens up a lot of mental space and like just time in your day where you can actually focus on things that A, you love, and B, where you can have an impact, which I'm sure you found as you were coming back to, you know, off of this burnout back to your wellness, and then you started your company from that. So I'm sure giving yourself that time was what helped to open up the door to all of these other opportunities that you now have. Totally. And I think, again, like if we go back to the way that like Ayurveda and yoga were developed together, right? Bring balance to mind and body so that soul can lead. And that's really what happens, right? When you're when your body is in a state of imbalance or sickness or your mind is in a state of imbalance or sickness, that requires so much energy to just manage. You don't have the capacity, let alone financial resources, right? Because that's a money drain too, if you're not feeling well, if you're not feeling healthy. 
And I, you know, I tried to stay away from talking about notions of health um, because health is not something that's afforded to all of us. You know, like that's that's our roll of the dice. I am someone who kind of got a shitty role. I have multiple sclerosis. So like by medical standards, like I have a chronic illness. I'm not in perfect health, right? But regardless of your health status, all of us have an opportunity to cultivate wellness and well-being. And yeah, when you're operating from that place, like soul can lead. Soul, wisdom, higher self, whatever you want to call it, spirit, I don't it doesn't matter. Whatever that thing that is stepping a little outside of your day-to-day life, that observation voice in your head that, you know, is the grand sum total of all of your life and all of your experience. That's what you want to be driving the car most of the time. Yeah, it's a beautiful segue to your definition of success. Yeah. You say soul can lead. What? How has your soul led you to define success for yourself? Oh, that's a great question. I am... Um... You know, I think I grew up in a culture, especially as a daughter of immigrants and the classic like American dream story of came here, opportunity for their kids. Kids crushed it throughout high school, went to top universities, got top jobs. You know, everything has been about like financial success and like professional prestige. Right. And that's kind of like the bread and butter that I was raised on when it comes to defining success. And you know, I think the whole transformation to starting my own business and, and being on this journey with Lily Jade just opened up the aperture a little bit, right? Allowed me to create a wider definition of success. And it's something that I've been struggling with, to be honest, you know, because I feel when I'm doing the work, when I'm with clients, when I'm hosting group workshops, when I'm consulting, when I'm even like creating content for social media, like, oh man, I'm so in love with it. It's a space in between. <laughs> when things are a little quiet, they're like, shit, am I doing it right? Am I going to be successful? And one of the tools that has been really helpful to me is to come back to the Vedic definition of success or like the four goals of life as divined by the Vedas. The first goal of life by the Vedas is Kama. And that's really about like activities, enjoyment, the external nature of our life, are you using and maximizing the full human sensory experience, right? Because like, what a gift that we have. And when I think about this last year of launching my own business, like I have had more time to do the things that I love than any year before, right? Like the gentle walks to go get coffee and the meeting up with friends in the middle of the like, quote unquote, work week and playing tennis and going skiing and you know, just structuring my life around what I want to and need to do on my own schedule. The second goal of life is Arta. And that's really about the accumulation of wealth, assets, and knowledge in order to to lead a healthy, vibrant, prosperous life, right? It's not accumulation of wealth for wealth's sake. It's not this like greed consumption thing that we've got going on, like make as much money as you possibly can. No. Make enough money that you can live a healthy, vibrant life in the current social human context that you are born into, right? Not this need for excess. And yeah, you know, this first year as a business owner, maybe I'm not doing that in the same capacity that as I was working for Microsoft for eight and a half years, but that eight and a half years granted me this runway to do that and to guide my 
year of owning my own business slowly and intuitively. And I'm fine. I'm stable. I don't need more than that. The third one is Dharma. And this is really about purpose, the way that you move through the world, the way that you exist in this world, the things that you contribute to this world. And this is the piece that I think has been the most, you know, quote unquote, successful for me this last year. Like, oh, yeah, wow. For the first time in my life, I really do feel connected to a sense of purpose and mission and what is my impact and contribution to the community around me. And then the last one is moksha. And this is about liberation, freedom, non-attachment, which are very lofty, high vibe, spiritual goals, right? I can't claim any <laughs> any modicum of moksha, right? Like that's that's a many lifetimes worth of work. But I think, you know, the core within that is just getting comfortable with change, right? Like the only truth of this world is that everything is changing constantly. Nothing is sitting still. Not one ounce of life is ever stagnant. It's constantly motion, constantly changing. And that can be exhausting and that can be really hard to manage and that can be really, yeah, just difficult. And I think any opportunity to build up your resiliency and com- resiliency to and comfort with change is a beautiful opportunity, right? That's going to serve you no matter where you are in your life. And this has definitely been, you know, between launching my own business and then getting hit with a multiple sclerosis diagnosis, like five months in, a beautiful lesson of comfort would change for me. I didn't want it. I would, I would give some of it back, but it's been purposeful. I've never heard a definition of success connected to the Vedas before. So that's, I really, really love that. And I'm taking some mental notes to try to map my definitions of success to that because I think that it does cover, it covers all of your bases. It covers all of the important things in life. Totally. And that's why I love, you know, practices like yoga and Ayurveda even like Buddhism, Buddhism is a child of the Vedas too. You know, there's something to be said that there are these philosophies and wisdoms that have been around for 3000 plus years and they are just as relevant today as they were then. Like that's when you know, and I'm getting goosebumps, that's when you know there's truth, right? If it can withstand all of history that has happened in the last 3000 years and it's still relevant, that's where you know truth lies. Thank you so much. Yeah, I got goosebumps too. <laughs> Maybe I'm just cold, but also goosebumps. Yeah. I think they're contagious. <laughs> yeah. The laugh Marianne. Marianne. Thank you so much for, for being with us. Just to close out, where what is the best place for people to find you? I know you have a really cool social media presence. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you can always go to my website, www.lilyjade.com. It's L-I-L-I-J-A-D-E.com. Or you can follow me on social, whether that's Instagram, TikTok, or LinkedIn at Lily Jade Wellness. My TikTok is very like MS heavy. And so if you're someone in the chronic illness or multiple sclerosis community, that's where you'll find most of my content there. And then kind of LinkedIn and Instagram are higher order holistic wellness stuff. And yeah, I offer 
your first coaching session with me, your first 55 minutes is free. And so if you want to connect and kind of just hop into the process, you can do that right away. And I have to ask, why Lily Jade? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, So Lily Jade is my way of kind of honoring my family and my ancestry. My mom's maiden name is Jalili. And then my dad's last name and my last name is Mjadi. And so Lily Jade is my, you know, modern combination of those two words. And my mother, when she was growing up, she grew up in the south of Iran. And my grandfather and great uncle, every Tuesday and Thursday, would open the doors of their home to the community. And my mom and her mother and sisters would serve everyone who came in like tea and hot dates and snacks. And it was just like very much like Persian hospitality. And the people would come and they would consult with my grandfather, my great uncle about their challenges, their issues. And they would offer um, advice. They would offer resources. They would offer connections, money, you know, whatever it is that they needed. And my mom and my dad very much kind of embody this mentality today. You know, I've seen them. There's people, I, I, I adore them, and they are very, very wonderful and very proficient and very skilled at cultivating community. And they kind of embody this mentality and this energy in, you know, definitely a new land. And this is my way of continuing that. I, I, I want to be that open door, you know, for everyone else. I love that. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. It was so nice to chat and I learned so much. I took a few notes and I think our listeners are going to benefit so much from what you shared. Really, Thank you so really much for having me. So great to be in conversation and community with you too. This is awesome. I love what you're doing. <laughs>